Welcome to Mindfulness Mondays. Very good to be with you again. I would like to start this podcast with a quick clarification of two terms that I use a lot, mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness, as described by Buddhist scholar John Kabat-Zinn, is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Paying attention in this way gives us the ability to direct and sustain our attention as we choose. We can cultivate mindfulness, as just described, by using the tool of mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation can also help us to do a number of other things, including illuminate our reactive tendencies, our fixated mind. When I say fixated mind, what I am referring to is the very same mind that has for over two million years been dodging sticks and chasing carrots. It is our evolutionary inheritance, which is to say we still have that same reactive structure of mind today that we did back then. We're always calculating, even when we are not conscious of it, how to stay safe and how to get what we want. It's almost like we have these antennae on top of our heads. Is this good for me? I want it. Is this bad for me? I don't want it. We are wired with a complex inner architecture that predisposes us to avoid our fears, sticks, and fulfill our desires, carrots. In my forthcoming book called Leading from Inherent Awareness, I call how we are wired yesterday's mind. Other terms for yesterday's mind are dualistic mind and divided mind. In the field of adult development, what I am describing is called the subject-object divide. It is the mistaken belief based on our conditioning that I, the subject, am having the experience of distinctly separate objects. Let me elaborate. When we are dodging sticks and chasing carrots, we are actually seeing the world of objects out there as separate from me in here. And we react, as I mentioned, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Again, this is our evolutionary inheritance designed originally to keep us from getting eaten by tigers and to get our genes into the next generation. In fact, the way we see the world depends on the story we tell ourselves about what we think is going on. And the more fixated we are about our own point of view, 
the less clearly we can discern objective reality. I wonder how many of us, how many of you have made the effort to investigate this faulty paradigm, yesterday's mind, for viewing the world. My point is, because we do not question this paradigm, most of us will live our lives caught in the subject-object divide, in reactive structure of mind, in fixated mind. So let's do a contemplation now to experience our divided mind. Are you ready? So I'd like you to hold up your hand in front of you, look at it carefully, and ask yourself, what is this? Of course, your first thought will be my hand. And you may find yourself identifying with it and even having feelings about it. That's fine. We tend to have judgments and feelings, the opposite of being non-judgmental about whatever we view as part of us. So keep looking at your hand. What thoughts and feelings are you having? Let your thoughts come and go. Whatever arises is fine. Keep asking. What is this? As you continue asking that question, you may find yourself surprised by what you can say about your hand, what it looks like, its color, its weight and dimensions, its use and utility. If you keep asking the question, what is this? Eventually your mind will simply come to rest. It will have come to the end of descriptions and knowledge about your hand. Nothing more to say. Here's the point. Naming the object or describing its qualities is a way of creating order, of identifying ourselves as subject and naming something out there object. Even if that's something, that object is as close as our own hand at the end of our arm. Naming things lets us weave our thoughts into our stories. And here's the point. Objects become for us what our minds say they are. In this way, we form our reality out of our thoughts. The more solidly we define the objects of our perception, the more we feel ourselves defined as a person seeing those objects. The me and my hand separation seems pretty obvious. We've been taught to see this as our hand. Again, why would we ever question this paradigm, this version of reality? The problem is this divided subject-object mind ignores a fundamental and profound underlying quality of mind, inherent awareness. Underneath our divided mind lies what I refer to in my book 
as inherent awareness. Inherent awareness is that knowing quality of our minds. It is what knows you are listening to this podcast right now. You could say inherent awareness is like the big sky that you experience on an airplane when you rise above the clouds. Our constant chatter and discursive thinking, is this good for me, is this bad for me, is like our inner weather, our inner clouds. Even behind the stormiest clouds, there is always this open sky, open space, inherent awareness. Everything, all discursiveness arises from this open space or big sky mind. But because we have lived with the subject-object-divide paradigm, what I call yesterday's mind, for so long, we miss the inherent awareness that underlies our divided mind. Instead, we think of our divided mind as our natural condition and do not question it. We cannot see it for what it is, a self-generated problem. Again, this fixed way of seeing is misinformed. Science has been telling us for a long time how misinformed we are. When we ignore our big sky mind, our inherent awareness, and identify with the clouds, our thoughts instead, we perpetuate an imposed distance between the objects and ourselves. We are separate from the objects we perceive, and we feel that separateness. It manifests as feelings of anxiety, boredom, a basic longing for something else. This is the defect, the fundamental flaw inherent in our habitual subject-object mindset. The mindset that does not recognize the luminous inherent awareness that lies so close just beneath our discursive chatter. The point I am making here is we can't feel completely at ease because something feels wrong when we subdivide into parts what is intrinsically whole. Much of our behavior then becomes motivated by our attempt to remedy the stress of our misperceptions and regain a feeling of well-being. We do what we can to alleviate feelings of anxiety, boredom, and a longing for something else. How about a pina colada on some beautiful beach? Sound good? How about some chocolate? Shopping on Amazon. Overworking so you can feel like you are getting something done. That's a distraction too. Continually checking your messages. Watching TV. Keeping yourself forever on the go. Doing, 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 doing. Crossing things off your to-do list. Worrying about the future. Ruminating about the past. 
The cycle of hope and fear we can get into can be so entertaining, albeit painful. My personal favorite is endlessly playing solitaire. The list of distractions is endless. When we feel anxious, bored, or filled with a longing for something else, we long to feel protected and safe. We become embedded in a cocoon of habitual patterns, our ways of feeling safe and protected from our anxiety, fears, and a sense of separateness. When we are afraid of waking up and afraid of experiencing our own fear, our protective cocoon becomes our own personal cave. When we hide from the world in this way, we feel secure. We may even think we have conquered our fear, but what we are actually doing is making ourselves numb with fear. We surround ourselves with our own familiar thoughts so that nothing sharp or painful can touch us. In essence, we are so afraid of our own fear that we deaden our hearts. The more we stay or hibernate in our cocoon of habitual patterns that may, in fact, temporarily pacify our sense of unease, the more embedded we become in our cocoon. It's a downward spiral. Think of a caterpillar in a cocoon. We can't avoid being in our reactive structure of mind. This is our evolutionary inheritance. But just like the caterpillar has to go through the cocoon stage before becoming a butterfly, we too can become a butterfly, which is to say, become free of our fixated mind and the habitual patterns that do not serve us well. Let me say here that there is obviously functional value in the relative reference points that come out of navigating the world from the subject-object perspective. Our everyday minds must, of course, navigate and respond to all kinds of conditions and situations that we find ourselves in. The problem is staying stuck in divided mind unknowingly and without the ability to take a more holistic view of the world? How might it enhance our effectiveness as human beings if we could adopt another paradigm, a different paradigm than yesterday's mind? What if we could toggle between the subject-object divide and our big sky mind. What would be the result? What I am suggesting here is that the path forward, the path out of being asleep in our cocoons of habitual patterns 
an endless seeking of pleasures and distractions requires that we have to be willing to face the uncertainty and groundlessness that yesterday's mind has worked so hard to try to ignore. We have to connect with our inherent awareness. Because our attention has been confiscated by the words of our personal narrative, most of us do not connect with the natural clarity of our mind unless it is pointed out to us. And that's where mindfulness meditation comes in. Mindfulness meditation is a tool that enables us to observe our minds, to see the habitual patterns we carry that filter how we see the world. Mindfulness meditation also gives us the ability to notice when we are caught up in thinking and when we are simply present. With mindfulness meditation, we begin to experience a paradigm shift that can enhance our ability to drop the subject-object divide and simply be aware of being aware. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Here's the point. The more we bring our attention back in a disciplined way to the present moment, non-judgmentally, the more we are likely to notice when our mind runs off the rails into its reactive structure. When we practice and notice that we have been caught up in something that is not present, for example, when we rehash the past or rehearse the future, we are actually already back to inherent awareness, the natural clarity of mind, which is to say the simple noticing that we've been lost in our narrative of our own making means we have found the ground of inherent awareness. It's actually always there. It's never lost. It's just that our attention gets hijacked by habitual patterns, by the subject object mindset, by the seductive but toxic temptations of our cocoon of habitual patterns. I urge you to please practice mindfulness meditation in a disciplined way, for example, three times a week for 10 minutes or five times a week for three minutes. Basically, whatever works best for you, please practice. Just Stick to a schedule. Discipline practice will enable you to hold the view of inherent awareness and connect with it. To become completely awake to the present moment on purpose and non-judgmentally. This understanding naturally gives rise to compassion and courage. We see the need to be fearless in facing the forms of confusion that have such traction in our world today. Our own increasing connection to our own basic clarity of mind gives us the confidence and courage to meet each situation 
with an open heart and a clear mind. In closing, I'd like to share some words of Yonggi Mingyur Rinpoche from the epilogue of his book, In Love with the World, A Monk's Journey Through the Bardos of Living and Dying. He said, all that we are looking for in life, all the happiness, contentment, and peace of mind, it's right here in the present moment. Our very own awareness is itself fundamentally pure and good. The only problem is that we get so caught up in the ups and downs of life that we don't take the time to pause and notice what we already have. Don't forget to make space in your life to recognize the richness of your basic nature, to see the purity of your being and let its innate qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom naturally emerge. Nurture this recognition as you would a small seedling. Allow it to grow and flourish. Please practice and please take good care of yourself in these challenging times.